Last week we talked a little bit about whether or not your heart, your soul, and your mind were really engaged in the singular priority that we are called to. That the word priority is just that. It's a priority. And how do we wrestle with that in light of all the different things that we can do in our lives, all of the good things that God gives us? And I settled in my own heart after talking to some folks and, and a fella kind of challenging me on this, prop, on this use of this word uh, that I can't have more than one priority. I can't. It's just not possible. You have to pick a priority, right? Something is going to be more important than the rest of things. And so I think Jesus was asked that same question, right? The Sadducees had been quieted, and the Pharisees got together, and they said, hey, we can find a question that will that'll stump him. And so they asked him this question. They said, the one of them said to him to test him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It's the same question, right? What should be the most important thing for me today? What's the greatest commandment? in all of the law of the Old Testament. And Jesus answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the reason that I settled there is because I fully believe that this can be our priority in everything else that we do. It doesn't matter what you do for a living doesn't matter to do with anything to do with where you are at your station in life, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you've got 10 kids or whether you've got one kid, whatever it looks like, right? All of it can be done for the glory of God. If we're learning how to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, all of that encompassing us, then we are becoming something. And that really is the difference that Jesus is talking about. He doesn't give you a list of accomplishments or things to do because that's easier in our lives, isn't it? If we were able to to flip open to Romans and say, here are the four things that you got to do every day to make sure that salvation is yours... (laughs) then we would do them, right? Because we're good list followers. It does not mean that your heart, your soul, and your mind are engaged in the process. That's a deeper level. And and the frustration that I have grown with in the last years of doing ministry is, is the shallowness of our culture. The fact that I can be identified more easily by the car I drive than the person I am. And so it's very difficult for me to to speak into a culture and seem like I'm coming anti-culture all the time, but when I read the words of Jesus, I I can't land somewhere else. (laughs) Because the world around us is going to tell us one thing, And Jesus is going to say, no, you don't want to be the greatest. You want to be the least. (laughs) And by being the least, you'll be the greatest. (laughs) 
Because it depends on how you view your world. Do I view my world as a gift from God? That all that I have, all of the things that I possess, all of my sensibilities, all of my abilities, they were all gifted to me by the Creator of this world to then work in this world for good and then say, you know what? I can do this because God gave me the ability and give Him back the credit. That's my job. That's what I get to do as a believer. That's what, that's what I've been entrusted with. The opportunity to take all that God has given me, to work it out in my life, in the lives of my family and my friends, and then say, you know what, look at what God has done. My father-in-law and I were chatting a little bit this weekend. He was here to, to watch J.D.'s football game, and he said he had just heard something, and I believe it was from... Uh, from one of the guys that he listens to on prophecy, and, and he said, God is I am, not I used to be or I will be, right? I am. That's what he calls himself, I am. And so no matter where you find yourself, I am. And we spend a lot of our time in our world and in our culture thinking about what I should have done or what I could have done or what I did instead of where I'm at. Because all of those things led to where I am right now. My biggest difficulty in life is that I'm typically forward-leaning. I'm typically thinking that was a, a good accomplishment, now what's next, right? Let's, we've got to keep going, keep the momentum, right? Keep working, keep striving. And He's not the God of what will be. He's I am. And embracing the place that you are today is a big piece of life with God. Allowing your heart, your soul, and your mind to take that time to rest, to spend time with who He is, to fall in love more with Him, so that then you can do what it is that He would like you to do. Not what you think He wants you to do. <laughs> Not what the community around you thinks looks good on a resume. Not what good Christians should do but what God really wants you to do. You see the other verse listed there, right? Our, our theme verse that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things and to Him be the glory. And just as I said last week, it's about Him. Over and over and over, everything is from Him, it's through Him, it's to Him. He gets the glory. Psalm 37, 4 says that delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And, and a lot of people take that and they think, wow, I can have what I want. I just have to please God. I just have to delight. 
That's, that's not it, folks. If you really, really wrestle with Scripture and figure it out, that when you delight yourself in what God is thinking about and doing in the world around you, He will change your heart to see the world differently and give you literally the desires that will please His heart in the end, but will bring joy to yours as well. It's all in how you view your world and what it is that God has given you to do. You can't ever find it unless you slow down long enough to fill your mind with the thoughts of God about who He is, about what He's done to bring peace to your mind. <laughs> to stop thinking about what's next or what was. And so as I looked at it, I thought, what better example than we follow the, the life of Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul articulates the way in which Jesus came to serve. In my Bible that I got before I went on Operation Barnabas back in the, in the early 90s, the heading just simply says, Imitating Christ's Humility. And that phrase has stuck with me for years. Just those three simple words that... How can I do that? How can I imitate Christ's humility in my life on a daily basis? So the first two verses here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in your spirit, if there's any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Have you heard any of that kind of talk before out of Paul? You go back to Romans, right? from Him and through Him and to Him. And you read what we just read about Jesus' greatest command, your heart, your soul, your mind. Wrap it all up, right? He says, if you have any comfort from His love, right? If you've ever been comforted by His love, if your heart has ever been warmed by that, if you have anything in common with your spirit, if your souls are aligned and ignited by the things of Jesus, if you have any tenderness and compassion because of that, then make my joy complete and set your mind about doing those things. Over and over and over, we're told it's a process. That we have to take time and we have to get to know the mind of God and what it is that He is doing so that we can join Him. You're not going to come up with something new and different and better than what God has already done, folks. I love history, and it cracks me up when I hear these stories of things that people think they're doing for the first time, and I think, do you have any idea that the Greeks were doing that at, in, in like A.D.? No, they don't. Nothing much changes in our world. Our human nature is only so great. You understand that in the book of Genesis, they built this thing called the Tower of Babel, right? To prove how great and awesome their society is. And, and they started to make it all about themselves. They worked with one voice and they built this giant tower. And yet, we compete on continents still today to have the largest building in the world. Right? I mean, folks, we're just not 
that more civilized than the people were in the very beginning of time. I know that's, that we want to believe we are. We're different in ways, but we're very much the same. And these words matter to us because I know I hear it all the time that, okay, that's great stuff, but that book was written 2,000 years ago, Doug. If I get to know the God of the Bible, then man, that's antiquated stuff. If you believe that, that you are so far along in your development, I challenge you to do some reading historically, folks. To look at what the nations of people have done before you and to realize that we are not doing anything differently, really. With the exception of skinny jeans, maybe. There are fads and there are trends and there are things, but really when you boil it down... We are very much the same. The reason that God's Word works is because He created us. He knows our very nature. And if you start with that as your premise and you understand that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that God's plan from the beginning of time was to recognize that He's going to have to do it over and over and over and over because we're not going to get it. That's just because we're human. And He desires that relationship with us. And I've heard it said, we don't need to be instructed again. I don't need to tell you anything new today. I don't learn anything new necessarily by reading all of this stuff. But man, do I need to be reminded. (laughs) It's not about the instruction. It's about reminding ourselves to keep our bearings, right? Because we can walk in in the... Direction we think is right for a very long time and then get there and go, how did I get here? This is not where I intended to be. If we have any comfort, any encouragement, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. To allow ourselves to embrace what it is that God has given to us. To understand who He is. To spend time with Him. To then figure out what it is that God wants us to do. The second command is that we love our neighbor as ourself. Right? And he says, for you to be able to do that, you first must love me. You first must take your eyes, your heart, your soul, your mind, you must take all of those things and focus them on me. Jesus says that is the first commandment because you have to do that first before you're going to be able to do the second. 
Because the reason that we continue to recreate what societies have done before us is because we continue to look at ourselves. <laughs> Plain and simple. We look to our accomplishments. We acknowledge all of the things that we are capable of. We think we are new and better than the every relationship that has ever been built with mankind. <laughs> so until we are able to take our eyes off of ourselves individually and corporately as a culture, we're not going to be able to fulfill that second command. There are times when we try, right? When we do the right things. I'm not saying, folks, I don't want to beat you up, okay? They don't, don't hear that. I want you to understand reality, though. It is very difficult what the Bible asks us to do. You heard it in Romans 12, that as you stand in view of God's mercy, as you understand first and foremost what God has done, then your true act of worship is to surrender your life in service. It's literally as a burnt offering that is fragrant, if you freed your, your version, may say a fragrant offering. You are allowing God, the consuming fire, to consume your life for His glory. Because this world is temporal. Whether you believe it or not, Someday, this world will end. And if we focus on just the things that are here, then we're only going to get the things that are here. What Jesus taught us was to focus on things and set our hearts on earthly things. To take your gaze and take it just above the horizon. To take it off of the world that we live in temporally and raise it a little bit. That's what he's talking about here. He's having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind, all of us united. And then he tells us, Paul says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This selfish ambition and vain conceit is the root of what will stop us accomplishing the second commandment. None of us want to believe we're selfish. We don't want to be labeled that way. Nobody in our society wants that moniker. And so we do everything we can to make it look as if we're not selfish. I'm not going to make it as an accusation, but I want to lay it out there that we are very good as a culture at doing things that present themselves selflessly. We're very good at coming up with goodwill endeavors that we believe are meeting needs and doing good things, but at the heart of it, we really hope that people respect us more and think better of us 
for having done good things. I'm, I'm getting really deep here, I know, guys. It, this, is, this is something that bothers me in our world more than, than I should express this morning. There are lots of really good things that we can do. We can be philanthropic entire lifetimes. We can give away lots of money and things. But if we are not helping people understand who Jesus is by doing so, then we are not changing their eternity. We are only helping them here in the now. And we're very good at focusing on meeting people's needs sometimes temporarily. It is a hard reality <laughs> to remove all of your self-interest. Is, is, it's going to be impossible for us, okay? Jesus was God. All right. Understand that He was 100% God, 100% man, our perfect example of this, okay? No one is saying that you are going to have to be the Messiah to accomplish this. It's our goal, right? It's a goal that we put out there to strive for all of our lives. to become more and more like Jesus. To develop a sensibility inside of our hearts that, that does things that seem careless even, right? Some of you have been down to the broken dinner. I'll use Josh as an example. We're going to go down October the 10th and we're going to feed some folks that are going to come into the basement of a church. There's 60 or 70 folks and I tell you what, you're not going to get any notoriety from being down there. Nobody knows you're in that basement serving sloppy joes to those folks. So don't come if that's why you want it, right? But if you really want to understand what I'm talking about, that there are environments like that that you can enter into and say, I just want to do something that I think Jesus would have done. It's a totally different perspective than, than we are naturally accommodated with in our minds. To do nothing out of selfish ambition, it is so difficult sometimes to, to parse this out in our minds. The goal is that we would do it as well as Jesus. We're, we're not going to get there. My passion, obviously, is to, to see that. I'd love to see a church that, that could do all of these things and yet nobody knows who does them, right? That we would fulfill all kinds of needs inside of the community and yet the community doesn't even know that it's us that does it, right? Because we don't need the credit. 
The point is that God is the one that deserves the credit because He's ultimately the one that has given us the resources, the strength, the desire, and the ability to take care of those needs. And so it's very difficult inside of our Western culture to see that. To give somebody else credit for stuff we're doing is not natural. But it's necessary for our hearts. For the peace of mind that comes because of doing things like that. When you take self-interest out of it and you really understand truly the depth of interest of others, what that means. Paul goes on to say it specifically this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, 100% God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His advantage. While He was here, He was God, and yet did not use it to His advantage because He understood what His role was to help us in this world. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our example is one of service. I've heard it said lately, and I've seen it throughout social media, That if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And that's great. And corporate America is running with some of those things, and I'm glad. But I hope that they understand that that's a biblical principle. (laughs) That's not new. Zig Ziglar didn't write the book on it, right? That if you really want to truly improve the world that you live in, then you serve it. That you take the very nature of a servant. Just because you have some earthly position does not mean that you are a leader. Okay? Does not mean that anybody's following you. It means that you are serving the interests of either your boss or yourself, probably. That you're really good at what you do here in this world. There's nothing wrong with that, but man, when you hear guys like Nick Foles, who wins the Super Bowl and says, I only have this ability because God designed me and created me to be this guy. There's a guy that worked all of his life, took all the hits, all the physical reps, did all the work, sharpened his mind for every playbook that he ever did, was a backup quarterback. That was his role. And ends up being thrust into the biggest moment in franchise history and leads them to a Super Bowl win. And Nick Foles didn't say, man, am I glad I put in all those hours in the gym and did it. No, he said, I want to thank God for giving me the opportunity to do this. 
There are, there are people, and we can rise to that level, and we can, we can hope to be in those environments and, and, and have that opportunity and take the platform then that God has given us, no matter where we are, and turn it around to glorify Him. And it was shocking to our world for Nick Carson Wentz, the coach, several other players all in unison to say these things about why they accomplished what they accomplished. It was different. In John chapter 13, it's not included in your notes because it's a kind of a lengthy passage about a time that Jesus spends with His disciples. He has a meal with them and talks with them about His impending death. Inside of that culture, there was no running water. There were no opportunities for baths on a regular basis, things like this. It was a very arid climate. So you would provide a basin of water when you would enter the home, and there would be a servant that would literally help wash your guests' feet because they wore sandals and it was dirty and you could then wash one another's feet and that would be a, a way in which you could, you could serve your guests. And in John chapter 13, Jesus does that for His disciples. He takes a moment there with them before He passes away, before He takes His position eternally, and He does something in the physical to show them to what lengths He's willing to go for them. He's willing to take the lowliest spot in the household and wash all of their feet. He girds Himself with a towel, bends down, and individually washes their feet. And the thing that is remarkable to me is that Judas is there. The man that took 30 coins for Jesus' life. There was no self-interest in Jesus. He understood 100% completely what He was made to do. That He was here to serve, not be served, right? You hear these phrases over and over through Scripture because we need to be reminded of it. I'm not trying to point a finger and say that you're bad people, okay? That's not my goal. My goal, though, is to help drive you deeper into the meaning of why we do what we do. We have an incredible amount of opportunities in our region here to serve people. Josh has set up these 
teams that come in in the summer and we get to help with various building projects. We've got Bible to school that that needs some volunteers. They're going to take kids out of school for a period of time every day and just teach them the word and give them lunch and send them back to school. And we've got opportunities to teach our kiddos back the hall and to lead worship up here. And the list goes on and on and on that God gives us to glorify Him. And I want to make sure that that's why we do what we do. Because Jesus understood that. (laughs) He was committed to service, not self-aggrandizement. He wasn't doing things to make people think how much greater He was. He was committed to service. To humble himself to become obedient to death. The greatest act of service, right? That impacts every one of our eternities. If you believe what the scriptures say about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through Him, then His greatest act of service was offering up His physical body, becoming obedient to death on a cross. He gave literally everything He had. That's our example. My belief is that the only way we can figure out what it is and how it is to live is to spend time prioritizing God in our life. To get to know Him with our whole heart, our soul, our mind. To wrap ourselves in Him. To understand who He is, how He ticks, what does He want us to do then flows out of that. When we sit with Him, He impresses us with His nature. Not a to-do list. He changes the way you see your friends and your neighbors, right? When you've been spending time with God, when you are listening to His tenderness and His compassion, when you're standing in view of His mercy and understand all that He's done to serve you, It changes the way you serve others. It personalizes your service. You now put a face to what it is that you want to do with your service. It goes to an entirely different level. The last section here that I'll read in verse 9. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Everything that that happens concludes in glorifying the Father. 
that he was established in a place that is above us, for us, to bring glory to God the Father. That we have then an opportunity to embrace what it is that he's done on our behalf, to, to spend time listening and marinating in all of the good things that he's done for us, so that then we have an opportunity to help others understand who Jesus is through what we do, through how we live. Jesus understood that He would be glorified, that it wasn't the end of the story, right? And isn't that really the catch point for us? That we think that this world is the end of the story. We can't get over that hurdle. Because once you get over that hurdle, there's nothing stopping you. Jesus knew it wasn't the end of the story. He knew why He was doing it. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He understood because He had given all that up on our behalf. To help us understand. If we could really just embrace all that Jesus was doing in this one passage to imitate His humility. In the end, God elevates His Son to a place where His sacrifice has the maximum effect on our world. So God elevated Jesus to that place that, that everything He had accomplished has a maximum effect. If, if you doubt this, think about just the impact that Jesus has had on our world. There has been no other historical figure that has had the kind of impact that Jesus has had. And yet He did it by dying on a cross, folks. By serving humanity. You have the opportunity then to be a part of God's plan. To prioritize God and to personalize how you're going to serve Him. Last week we looked at Genesis 3 and... God walking through the garden, looking for Adam and Eve and, and asking, where are you? Right? Where are you? Because that's where it starts. When you start to ask that question as if God were standing there with you, where are you? In your heart, your soul, and your mind, where are you? are you? And if you can start to resolve some of that and spend time as, with God as your priority, then, then I think you can introduce this next commandment in how am I going to serve my other part of my life? How am I going to serve those people around me? By asking the question, then what does God want me to do with my life? If I understand that I am in view of God's mercy, if I've started to place myself there, and I really understand that He's the priority of my heart, if I've figured out where I am, 
then I can start asking questions like, what does he want me to do? I can start looking at the people that are around me and recognizing their need. I will warn you that it can be somewhat heartbreaking when you start to actually look into the lives of your neighbors and understand the hurt and the pain that exists in people's lives and allow yourself to be drawn in. It's a humbling and painful process sometimes. but it has eternal value. It's not just about what's going on right here. Yes, I want us to help people's reality. You've heard me say that, right? I want us to engage in people's realities, but only so that we have a chance to impact their eternity. Because I want them to know that it's, that it's because of Jesus that I am serving you. That it's because my God has, has obediently died on a cross and changed my eternity that I'm going to show up for you. To prioritize who my God is in my life and then personalize my service to my world. To love God and then love others. <laughs> That's really what it means. <laughs> I hope that I haven't been too rough. The reality of the world we live in is that we are getting less and less depth in the things that we're doing. We've got more and more and more opportunities and we are spread thinner and thinner and thinner. And It's going to take a concerted effort to carve out time and to give your soul the rest that is necessary to understand exactly how your service can be most utilized by your God. To take that opportunity to spend time with Him and use all that He's given you to glorify Him. To truly understand what from, through, and to means. If I've done nothing else in, in my lifetime, that's one of my goals. That everybody here understands that at least. They at least know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because you're going to leave and you're going to have to make it your own now. Become part of the story. Father, thank you for your grace. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts and our minds and allow us to understand, Lord, that, that you have done so much on our behalf, that, that this is not a time in which we should feel depleted, but that we should feel energized because we understand that you have already done the good works that are prepared in advance for us to do. That as we understand grace and mercy and salvation, that we get to share our lives with other people. Lord, I pray that we would do that in a way that would glorify and honor you today.
In Jesus' name. Amen.